Would you guys open your Bibles if you have them to Matthew 14? If you don't have them, it will be projected behind you. Um, I am going to read this passage in its entirety and then I'm gonna pray and uh, we'll get right into it, okay? <clears throat> the he in here is Jesus just because we're jumping right in with pronouns and no proper names. <clears throat> These are the very words of God. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word to our hearts today. Give me grace to honor your word, to not dishonor it. Give your people grace to hear it from you and not simply from me and not simply from Matthew, but from your Holy Spirit. Transform us through it, Lord. Thank you for it. Help us to see and hear the voice of our shepherd. You said your sheep know you and they hear your voice. Help us to hear your voice. I pray that every single person in this room would hear you speaking to them through this word today. You promised that your sheep hear your voice. And if there are any in this room this morning who are not your sheep, reveal yourself to them. Convict them of their need for you. Convict them of who you are. May you give them the gift to get out of the boat and come towards you and see their lives changed. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus is looking for rest at the beginning of this little story. He has just heard, this is back in Matthew, the larger context of this chapter. He's just heard that his cousin John, John the Baptist, the forerunner sent by God to testify about Jesus, has been murdered, beheaded by Herod. He knows the same fate awaits him. He was not looking forward to having God's judgment poured on him. And John is a sign that darkness is closing in here. So Jesus goes to find some alone time earlier in this chapter in verse 13. And Matthew tells us he's followed by the multitudes. They won't leave him alone. They won't let him go. And his heart swells with compassion to heal them. So he interrupts his vacation plan to stop and be with them and heal them, to feed them. It says that his heart, when he saw them, was filled with compassion. He had a plan, and then people got in the way. But people were ultimately why he came. <laughs> 5,000 men, not including women and children. So probably, probably maybe 15,000 people, give or take, feasted on Chef Jesus' miracle that day. And after that huge day is over, he tells his disciples, let's get out of here. <laughs> you take the boat, I'm going to pray, and I'll meet you later on the other side of the lake. We need rest. We need rest. Isn't that good? Even the Son of God knew what it was to be pounded by ministry and serving and work. And all these people and all their difficulties. And Jesus, fully God and fully man, said, I got I to gotta get some rest. They all head out. Jesus stays behind first to deal with the crowd and then to go be alone to pray. He wants to go be with his father. That's his rest menu. And, and as they head off to the other side comes this incredibly great wind. It's probably a westerly wind that was not uncommon in the region. So it's this tremendously difficult swell that occurs on that lake. And, and when, when I've read about this in different books and I've read about it recently, you know, that's kind of a known thing in that region. These winds swell up. Whatever kind of boat they were on, whatever it was, it wasn't making any progress, and they were stalled. They were still far from where they were headed. And verse 25 tells us that during the fourth watch, which is sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and unless the moon was very bright, it, it was probably needed to be closer to sunrise, right? Because they can see something of him. And so, <clears throat> after a very long and exhausting night for the disciples they see this man walking <laughs> across the lake. And when they see him, they have a very reasonable response, which is terror. I don't know how to like, equate this, because we've heard the story so much, it's like cliche, but I mean, if you saw a person today walking in the sky, you know, 20 feet above Market Street, just walking. Yeah. But let's say you didn't know who he was, like he's all dressed in black, you know. <sighs> I don't know what categories to put in you, but like that's what happened to them, you know. And they are terrified. They, they see him moving closer to him, close enough to know there's a figure, to not know who it is, and then they hear him. So he's close enough to be heard. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And when they hear this, we don't know what happens to the rest of them. But Peter, he must have been full of some combination of excitement, awe, nervous energy. Of course, they've seen Jesus do incredible things before, right? So they do have a category for miracles. And Peter, 
is at least used enough to that world that he wants a taste of it. I don't know if he wants a taste of it or if he wants to please his Savior, some combination. We don't know exactly what's going on inside of his heart, but there's a sense of great opportunity to experience Jesus and what he's doing. And Peter has this desire in his heart that Jesus blesses. He says, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus says, come. He invites this blossoming, courageous faith. He invites Peter to taste something of that other world and of the Jesus who sustains and commands authority over all things to taste something of the one who is behind all things, the foundation for all things. At first, Peter's faith is confirmed. Jesus is all he could hope. He steps out of the boat and the water underneath his feet. It sustains him. We don't know what it did, if it solidified or... But it's all he could hope. He is walking. His His experience must have been second by second, racing past even his highest hopes, you know? Like... There's Jesus. He's doing it. I want to I come to him. I want to be part of this experience. He says, come. I'm going to come. I'm, I'm going to push away all other questions, thoughts. I'm just going to do this thing. And, and it's working, you know? What must it have been like to be him inside? He is walking on water. He is walking on water. A man just like you, not just like Jesus, But crucially important, he's not just walking. He's walking towards Jesus, focused on Jesus. That will come back to us. But at some point, his experience with this world catches up to him. He is a seasoned fisherman. He knows the laws of the sea. He knows that you play with them at your peril. He might have even had friends who were now dead because they drowned in the sea and in the swells. But he knows this is not right. And he begins to ask himself, what in the world am I doing? He sees the wind. He sees how strong it is. He knows what storms can be like on this lake. Who am I pretending to be? Look at that wind. This is not kid stuff. This is overpowering wind. He begins to reason in his heart. Fierce wind plus law of gravity equals drowning. These are the laws of the world, I know. And I'm on the wrong side of them. I'm doing something that is impossible. My situation is unsustainable, unsustainable. Doubt grips his heart. Fear sinks in and he begins to sink in to the water. But helplessness, despair, and death are, are not laws that he wants to submit to. So he cries. He knows enough to cry. Lord, save me. Immediately the Lord saves him out of the water, catches him, and at the same time rebukes him. <laughs> Interesting combination here, interesting tension for Peter to live in. Saving mercy, salvation, and rebuke all at the same moment. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Two worlds. This world and an impossible world. Peter just experienced in 45 seconds. This world and an impossible world of supernatural ability. What world do you subscribe to? Over the past few Sundays, 
we've been looking at the most profound truths of the Christian faith that exist in relationship to God's work in you and God's power for you on this side of your bodily resurrection. We've been looking at the most profound truths of the Christian faith that exist in relation to God's work in you and his power for you on this side of your bodily resurrection. The Holy Spirit breathed breathed word of God has proclaimed that we have truly spiritually died with Jesus on the cross and that the Lord himself united with our old self and killed that old self in his own death on the cross. The Holy Spirit breathed word of God has proclaimed to you that you and I have been made new in Jesus Christ. New spirits alive to God, able by faith in what Jesus has done to say no to sin and able to say yes to God. We have heard the Holy Spirit proclaim over you that you are dead to sin, that it shall no longer be your master, that you are dead to its right and its authority to control you anymore and that you are alive to God. And that you are, by virtue of that, commanded to present yourself to God for his use as one not in the old flesh, but as one alive from the dead, Paul tells us. Alive to God's power, to God's resources of love. Alive to his truth, alive to his word. Alive to his Holy Spirit living inside you. Alive to his heart when you pray. Alive to his help whether it be the fruit of his Holy Spirit each day as you trust in him or his throne for grace and mercy that is open to you any time for every need or to his deliverance from every temptation by his grace or to his cleansing and re-cleansing and re-cleansing when you fail. And if you would obey him by presenting yourself to God for his use, believing what he has said, the Holy Spirit word of God has proclaimed you will be able to walk according to the desire of the Holy Spirit and not according to the desires of your flesh by his power. You will be able to, as Paul says, put to death the deeds of sin by the Spirit and overcome the pull of selfishness and hopelessness and sinful desires that seek to control you and destroy you. And you will be able to live a life of love and hope and peace and self-control and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness. This is the testimony of the New Testament writers. These are not my words. Look at the Bible. Look at Romans 6, 7, and 8. Look at Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Look at Colossians. This is what it tells us again and again. Yes, we will not be perfect on this side, but we are not slaves anymore. We are not to live where the rule is the dominion of sin and the exception are brief moments of freedom. I believe that Paul paints a picture and calls us and the other authors and Jesus where the rule is, is upward and toward God in a life of love and the exception more and more is to be failure in Christ in hatred and love and in lovelessness and selfishness in the dominion of sin. When you read the tone of the apostles when they write the churches, there is this expectation that there is for them power to live lives of love. 
And they're constantly, constantly calling the church to that expectation because of who Jesus Christ is. There is not the tone and the note of being content with selfishness, being content with failure to love, failure to live for the Lord and live for others. There's the constant call in the other direction. So this week, as I again contemplated all of this grand truth we've been going after, these miraculous calls and pictures of what we've become because of Jesus and in union with Jesus, I wanted to ask by way of looking into this past today, are you walking on water? <laughs> or are you sinking? I'm asking myself the same question. Are you ready to walk in supernatural power? Now I know for some of us, maybe for many of us, this kind of sounds like some kind of sales pitch from some naive, shallow conference speaker. Are you walking on water today, brothers and sisters? You know, like it, it sounds like that. Are you ready to walk in supernatural power? I sound like the karate guy from Napoleon Dynamite. What was his name? I can't remember his name. Do you think I'm a loser going home to whatever it was? So listen, 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 listen. At the outset, please don't think I'm talking about, well, first of all, you probably know this, but please don't think I'm talking about supernatural power for wealth and perfect health. That job that you know belongs to your destiny. I'm not calling you to take your destiny and make God your servant for your desires. I'm not even talking about sinless perfection. We don't get very far in all these laudable and beautiful commandments that tell us are free before we were commanded to forgive one another, which implies what? <laughs> we're not perfect. <clears throat> but I am talking about supernatural power, power that has made you new and power from the Holy Spirit to walk new each day. I'm talking about what Paul said when he said to the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. This is a man who wrote more words than anybody in the New Testament, I believe. I could be wrong, maybe Luke, but <clears throat> he sure wrote a lot of words. But Paul would take his words and stop dead center and start praying for power, that people would be able to get these words, not just read them on paper, but they would be able to believe them and live them. I'm talking about Paul when he said, for neither circumcision counts nor anything <laughs> or uncircumcision. The outward formality, what counts, he says, is a new creation. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You are free, he says. So don't be yoked again to slavery leading to flesh. And what was Paul's flesh? It was sin. It was selfishness, enmity, strife, drunkenness, immorality. Paul said, no, you're free. I'm talking about this truth that we've been rehearsing each Sunday for weeks, that Jesus came not only to raise your dead body one day, hallelujah, but today to empower you to live out the life that he already has raised out of the tomb for you. 
a life that is supernatural, a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, a life that is progressively aware of its source in the living God and its dependence on the living God every moment, a life that fulfills the promise of Jesus, which is so sweet in everyone's ear who hears this promise when he says, don't you long to live this each day? When he says, because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Isn't that the song of your heart to know that each day, moment by moment, to hear him say, by his power, by his grace, you can experience the truth of what follows when he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Isn't that why you long to keep his commandments? So you can know him. So you can experience him revealing himself to you more and more. Don't you know that his love is better than life? A life that even if sorrowful, Paul says, even if full of sorrow, Paul says, always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In that sense, I want to ask if you're walking on water. Because I think that is, at least in large measure, what this story of Peter is about. Let's think for a moment. This story of Peter walking on water isn't about walking on water. Like, not literally. Like so many of Jesus' miracles and signs, it points to another world and higher truths than the signs themselves deal with. And in other Gospels, there is a a definite reference to Jesus' authority over nature, his divinity and his power. But in this particular pericope, in this particular passage... We zero in on Peter. We don't get Peter in in Mark's gospel. You remember when Jesus made the paralytic walk, they shoved him through Peter's roof. And Jesus said, what's this sign for? He said, this sign is so that you might know. Yes, he cared, he had compassion. But the bigger truth he's pointing to, the son of man has authority to do what? To heal? No. To what? Forgive sins. Brother, your ultimate healing is gonna be more than your legs restored but your record of sin before God erased and you declared righteous for eternity so that God is reconciled to you forever. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He he did that sign not to start a ministry of bodily hygiene care, but to paint a picture of him becoming our sin to wash our souls clean. Jesus fed thousands with bread. He had compassion. But what did he say after dinner? He said, don't work for bread that spoils. Work for the living bread which came down from heaven which the Father will give to you, my body for the life of the world. Thank you, Rashonda. So too, this sign of Jesus walking and Peter's walking in Matthew has much to do with another world and higher truths than overcoming everyday physics, which is amazing and wonderful. And who doesn't want to walk on water? I do. But, but it's, it's, there's something more here. So let's go mining together and search out a few things that the Lord might use this passage to speak to us about what he has for us. Number one, Jesus' commandment to Peter was his enablement. Jesus' commandment to Peter was his enablement for Peter. I love that Peter models both deep reverence and great faith initially here. He says to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. He doesn't just rush into what he wants to do here. He asks the Lord first, essentially, do you want me to come 
And that's a lesson in itself. If you're not sure what God wants from you, even if you're excited about doing something for him, it's so good to seek him out on the matter. But there's another lesson here. Peter is saying, Lord, I'm not going to presume on what you say I can do. But if you say I can do this, then I'm doing it. If you will say I can do this, I'm going to believe that and I'm going to do this. Command me and I'm coming. Call me to come and I'm out of this boat. I'm coming. This is the faith of a child. This is the heart of a child that inherits the kingdom of God. This is faith that says, God, what you command of me, if you command it of me, if you will give it to me, I will do it. Remember how long, remember how long, this is, here's, here's a contrast faith for you. Remember how long it took God to talk Moses into going to Pharaoh? If you read back to uh, Exodus 4, it's a really, really incredible conversation. I mean, what, what, what kind of negotiating man will do with a burning bush? <laughs> I mean, quickly moving from I'm seeing a bush that's on fire and wasn't destroyed to I'm now going to negotiate a deal here with this bush. <laughs> Lord, you know, God, Moses, go to Pharaoh. Go to Pharaoh, Moses, God says. Lord, they won't believe me. I will do miracles. In fact, I'll show you one right now. I'll do miracles through you. Okay. Lord, I'm not the guy for this. I will be with you. Okay. Lord, I'm really bad at talking, though. Who made your mouth? I made the mouth. You made the mouth. Lord, please just do somebody else. And then it says that God's anger burned against Moses. And then Moses turned into a frog. No, it says his anger turned into, his anger burned against Moses. And so God appealed to him again. God spoke to him again. He's so patient. I'll send you with your brother. I mean, I don't, I'm sure God didn't have this inflection, but you can almost read it like, I will send you with your brother. <laughs> you know, like he's angry with this guy because he just won't believe. I mean, Moses, I'm here as a burning bush. I'm, you are talking to a bush that's on fire and talking. And you're negotiating. But God worked with Moses he worked with Moses, but that's not the faith God wanted. It's not the faith God deserved. But look here. Look with this. This is not Peter. Peter's not Moses in this moment. He says, tell me to come and I'm coming. When, when Peter considered who Jesus was in those first moments, he knew he could do anything Jesus said he could do. And so with reverent dependence, he says, Jesus, can I do this? And Jesus says, you can do this. And he says, I'm coming. And you know, that's a beautiful thing. Peter gets slammed by, by, by the end here by, in many messages. But there's a beauty in what Peter does here. He, listen, we don't want to be naive in our reading of scripture. We want to be Berean and study carefully. God's word can be misunderstood and twisted but we also need to protect the heart of a child without which we cannot enter the kingdom. A heart that says, like Mary, with humility, with awe, yes, Lord, 
Let it be done to me according to your will. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Jesus commands to us in his scriptures, do not come without him. They don't come to his children. His commands do not come without him. They don't come without his empowering spirit. And so when he says to you, Ryan, present yourself to me for my use as one alive from the dead, When he says, offer yourself to me, Josh, as a living sacrifice each day, he doesn't leave himself out of that deal. When he says to all of us, take up your cross today, deny yourself and follow me, whoever would lose his life will find it. He is the power behind all of that. When he says over and over again in the New Testament, you're free from the dominion of sin, he says it this way, because I have set you free. We need not wonder when he says that if this is true or possible. We don't have to negotiate it away. We have to, like children, say, you are who you say. You can do what you say because he means for you to walk on water. He means for you to do what you cannot do naturally. That's the whole point of how he gets glory. John Owen says it so well. The duties of God, the duties God requires of us are not in proportion to the strength we possess in ourselves. Rather, they are proportional to the resources available to us in Christ. We do not have the ability in ourselves to accomplish the least of God's tasks. This is a law of grace. When we recognize it is impossible to perform a duty in our own strength, we will discover the secret of its accomplishment. What Jesus commands you and I to do, he gives you the power to do. He will make the water you think will sink under your feet if you will believe, if you will get out of the boat. He will make it firm up under your feet. So he calls us to get out of the boat and start walking, present ourselves to him for his use. And then he will lead you through his spirit in you, by his desires in you, working his will in you, by his word that he gave us through the Holy Spirit, by the wisdom and good examples of others around you here in this room, in long dead, in books they've written. But he says, get out of the boat. Mother's Day is coming, so I'm going to pick on men so that they might give the gift of a renewed faith to their wives and mothers today. Dads, dads, start or keep fighting to lead your children to the Lord. Husbands, start and keep fighting to lay your lives down for your wives. See, say, say here and no farther. 
to boundaries that are encroaching upon that call of God in your life. Those encroachments like the television, like internet, like games, like iPhone, like work. Say here, say no more to what you know is destroying your soul looking at other women. Say yes to what you know you need. Time, daily, offering yourself to him in prayer, beholding, seeing him in whatever various means of grace you need. Bible, study, prayer, worship, sermons. Give yourself to be with your family, with your spouse, talking to the Lord about them and talking to them about the Lord, praying, singing with them. You know, it's not the church's job, right? It's not your friend's job, right? It's, it's, you, it's our job, primarily and firstly, to educate our children about Jesus, to train them up on his truth, It's our job to be a banner of love over our wife and a tree of shade to our soul. You are not going to do that in your own power. You don't have that strength. But get out of the boat and start trying, believing in him and his power. Jesus Jesus has said in no uncertain terms, you can walk free of the dominion of selfishness each day if you will present yourself to me And offer yourselves to me. Give me a blank check. I have killed your old man. I have made you new for this very purpose. That you would get out of the boat and walk on water. Ladies, apply all that to yourselves in whatever ways you need to. But I'm not going to pick on you today specifically. But you know your things. That are calling you away from selfishness. Point two, as long as Jesus was Peter's focus and goal, he could walk in supernatural power. Point two, as long as Jesus was Peter's focus and goal, he could walk in supernatural power. I think it is so important that the Holy Spirit says not simply that Peter walked on water. Did you see that? He says, Matthew says here, he walked on the water and came to Jesus. (laughs) He didn't just walk on the water. He got on the water for a reason. That was to go to Jesus. I think this is a metaphor. I think this is a sign in Matthew's writing. The life of supernatural living has a goal. The goal is loving Jesus. The goal is not experiencing amazing virtue in yourself and incredible miracles and powers. The goal is moving towards Jesus and others. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Incredible gifts poured up by the Holy Spirit, chapter 12. Clear direction on how to use them, chapter 14. Right in the middle, Paul stops. And he says, before you guys run away with this stuff, what's the whole point? Loving, loving, loving God by loving his people. That's the whole point. The goal of our living with Jesus is to love Jesus, not simply supernatural life. It's not primarily self-improvement, self-satisfaction. It's not supposed to be driven at the center by pleasing other people because you're enslaved to their approval and you fear their disapproval. If if it's those things, it 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 will be unsustainable and we will sink. And we all struggle every day with various degrees of motivations that are for things besides Jesus where people become our gods and what we want from them become our gods. And we sink, right? 
And so Jesus calls us again and again, not just to walk on the water, but to do so in order to get to him. Come to me, come to me. So we come back again and again to him as our goal, to him as our treasure, to him as our love, to him. And as we do that, the water begins to solidify under our feet. And we find we can move toward him again. As we remember, he's the goal. This is such a huge lesson for me in ministry. I have to work on this lesson again and again and again. I think this is common for pastors, but I don't want to implicate every pastor. But it can be such a temptation to measure success apart from pleasing Jesus. I mean, all the time. And it's so, because you're, especially because you're in the world of Jesus talk. Jesus speak, Bible reading, and counseling, and sermons. And so you're always in the room with holy things that aren't necessarily the holy one. I mean, if you ask any pastor how something went, or any ministry leader how something went, they will almost invariably be tempted to respond with a number. How did it go last night? Oh, we had 12 people. I thought we were only going to see three. (laughs) How did it go? How's your church doing? Oh, man. We're at like 200. (laughs) How does that in any way correlate to... Did you feel, I mean, what about like, did you feel like the Lord was served and how folks were met? Did you sense the Holy Spirit was present and at work? And I just, those are so often not the first questions that come to mind. I think so often what's at the root of that question and that assessment is is not the worship of Jesus, but security in people and their acceptance of us and, and reputation. And some, I mean, some preachers are really good at building a church organization of thousands, and they're super godly men. I wouldn't call David Platt or Francis Chan's character into question, and thousands of people love them, you know? I said Francis Chan. Did I say something wrong? Did I say Chances Fran? I'm sorry. My apologies. Forgive me, Francis. <laughs> but you know who's also good at getting thousands of people are imams and mosques and Jehovah's Witnesses and prosperity, health, and wealth gospel teachers There were times in scripture where Jesus intentionally weeded down his following radically on purpose or rejected adulation because the people were following him for the wrong reasons, for the wrong expectations. So not just pastors, it's good for all of us to ask ourselves, why are we here? In any context of ministry, what am I here for? Am I here to serve and worship Jesus and love others for his sake? Or is it something besides that And sometimes we come because we're wiped out and we need food from him. And I think he's very pleased with that. But we should also ask, at church, at home, at work, is it Jesus' pleasure, his goal, his work, his heart that's motivating me here? And yes, you might be here because you need more of Jesus and you're just dry as a bone. Good. Come for that. Come to care group for that. Meet for coffee about that. Turn on worship songs for that because you need more of Jesus. But don't forget other people need Jesus in you and through you. I feel like one of the things God is working in my heart through this season where we used to be many, many more people is, is to not look through people, to not look past you to see a bigger church someday or to wonder who else is going to walk through that door. 
May God give me and give all of us the grace not to look past anyone, but to see, see each other as precious, bought lambs, little lambs of God, bought with his blood. I used to say to my care group leaders pretty often, like, bring Jesus to whoever Jesus brings. If he brings two people to your meeting, Jesus poured out his blood for those two people. If he brings one person, Jesus poured out his blood for that person. And he'll build it when he wants and how he wants. But success in his eyes has a lot more to do with numbers. When we're following Jesus primarily to get something from him and not to love and worship him and other people, he'll often frustrate us so that he can reset us. So we can regroup and come back to what we've been made for. Number three, number three. As long as, well, I'm sorry, this is a different one. Peter began to sink when he gave more credit to the power of the world to destroy him than to Jesus to sustain him. Peter began to sink when he gave more credit to the power of the world to destroy him than to Jesus to sustain him. It it wasn't only Jesus as his goal that sustained Peter on the water. This is important. It wasn't just that Jesus was his goal. It was that Jesus was his power source in his heart to do what he was doing. You see that? It wasn't just like, I want to love Jesus. It was because Jesus is holding this water in the palm of his hand, I can walk on it. It was his confidence in Jesus as the source of his power, as the source of his strength. As Peter was beholding Jesus as the one who could hold him. As Peter was looking at Jesus as the one who could hold him up. As he was esteeming Jesus for who he really was, he was upheld. As he was looking at Jesus as the one who loved him, who was for him, and who was also Lord over all things, he was filled with faith. Or even a mustard seed of faith that was enough. But when he saw the wind, Matthew says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Peter changed his focus at some point. He started considering just how fierce the wind was. But it wasn't just his heart saying, the wind is fierce, the wind is fierce. That wasn't what his undoing was, see? Because the wind was fierce. Matthew said the wind is fierce. It was his heart saying, implicitly the wind is fierce and therefore I'm doomed which is another way of saying Jesus is no longer bigger than the wind do you see that it wasn't just his heart saying the wind is fierce it was his heart saying the wind is fierce therefore I'm doomed which is another way of saying Ryan said this at the prophecy mic last week that our doubts are saying something not just about us but about God or something to that degree but this was the principle you were trying to express last week his doubt was saying yes the water is really fluidy and not solidy He wasn't just saying, this wind is really blowy. He was saying, Jesus is not enough, implicitly. That's not what he was probably confessing in his mind, consciously. Listen, last week we saw that in Romans 6, Paul builds his entire appeal for our ability to walk with Jesus on 
and exclusively on Jesus' power and grace in uniting us with his death and resurrection, making us new and filling us with his spirit. He built our entire water walk mission on what Jesus did and who Jesus is, not on our quiet times. Quiet times are good. <laughs> but that's not our foundation. So I want to ask you are, you, are you walking on the water? Because Jesus says you can. See, listen, it, 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 this is so hard for me to get. And I, I know you guys well enough to know that it's so hard for you to get too. It is not the greatness of the enemy or the sin or the trial, whether in degree or quality or length. It is not those things that arbitrates or decides whether we will be more than conquerors. It is the love of God expressed in his commitment to be true to his blood-bought promise to do what he says in us and through us if we will believe him. The speed of the wind, the fierceness of the wind is not the question. I mean, listen, consider the comedy in this story. Peter is walking on water and he stops to consider the speed of the wind and decides that because the wind is fierce, he will no longer be able to walk on water. (laughs) I mean, did, did he reason in his mind that Man, if the wind were at zero knots, walking on water would be way more reasonable. You see what I'm saying? Like, the guy's walking on water to begin with. What, the, who cares about the wind? Dude, you're walking on water. Well, if the sun starts to really get going here, a lot of this water might evaporate, and then maybe underneath the water, that's not really being miraculously held. And if this top layer of solidified water by the power of Jesus... I I am preaching something I need, okay? But it doesn't matter if we're facing our first battle with laziness or drunkenness or illicit images or anxiety-fed unbelief or you've been facing it for 20 years. I'm saying this not in my experience but based on the authority of God's word and his promises. Which trump my experience. Which trump whatever else I've read or whatever anybody else has said. It isn't the fierceness of the wind. Jesus calls you and equips you to do the impossible. Will you believe him? Will you get out of the boat and walk? Will you present yourself to him as alive from the dead, dead to sin's domination, and alive to the Spirit's power, and begin to walk with him? Is he only sovereign over the anger you had at your wife for two hours? Like, can he only take care of the two-hour anger? But don't ask him to free you from months and months and months and maybe years of quiet bitterness. (laughs) He can't do that. I got to think about what I can do here and what I'm ready for here. That's too much. I mean, I I know you, you united me in your death and resurrection. You killed my old man and you resurrected my spirit new from the tomb. But I've been really mad at my wife. So... There's that. Folks, sin is bad. It destroys. I 
have to fight it every day. You have to fight it every day. It's real. It calls us to battle. We battle with confession. We battle with forgiveness. We battle with learning and beholding his word and prayer and supporting each other and binding up each other's wounds. But, but may we please, by God's grace, not give more credit to sin and Satan and our weakness than we give to our Savior and his word today. His word that tells us we are free from its dominion and we can walk in these new ways and we can fight with these tools and find ourselves walking on water. So let's get out of the boat every day. When Peter fails and sinks, he knows to call out to Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is full of compassion. When Peter fails at what he's supposed to be doing, Jesus' response is compassion. Don't forget that in fact in my if 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 you if you don't hear that that's the most important thing for me to have you here today when peter starts to sink jesus is full of compassion don't leave here not hearing that you've got to hear that that will be the difference between you sinking and not sinking very often his compassion when you fail But Jesus wants more from Peter than that. Do you see this? I mean, I got to preach this. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, I understand. Anybody would fall in the water. I mean, that's just not what he says. Oh, Peter, I asked a lot of you. You did good for a few moments. You did great. It's okay that you're sinking. That's fine. I would have sunk if I wasn't God's son. Jesus will pull us out when we cry out in desperation. In his time, he will be there with enough even when we faint and we sink. But he would rather we not faint. He would rather we walk on water. He made us new to do this. He killed our old man so that we could do this. He died on the cross and took his father's judgment for our sins so that we could do this. So let's not tell the old man he's really not dead. Let's not, let's not do that. But instead, let's give ourselves daily to presenting ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Let's practice the habit and begin to get a taste for water walking. And some of you are already. I mean, I'm, I don't want to preach this as if this, this is the youth conference and no one's ever heard this before, right? But, but let's keep going then. Let's keep going. Let's not get up each day giving Satan and sin more credit than our Savior and his power. Let's get up hearing him say, Jesse, it's me. <laughs> Come. Do the impossible. I made you new to do that very thing. It is impossible for you and it is not impossible anymore because with me, you can do it. Step out of the boat. I will make that water as concrete as stone under your feet if you will seek me as you trust me. Spend time beholding me. When the winds and the waves start to get fierce in your mind, come back to me. Consider who I am. Consider my promises. Listen to my word. Trust my spirit. Call out to me. Command me, Jesus. And hear me command you. And find you can walk on water.
Let us pray.